Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Well, uh, I had a good weekend. I took my dog to the beach for the first time. The beach is um, like the Super Bowl for dogs. It it was incredible. The The videos were pretty amazing. He loved the sand. He loved digging. He loved rolling around in it. He kind of liked the water, but he was really into the sand. Um, <laughs> and that was definitely the highlight of my weekend because I'm just I watched some TV on Saturday. I, I think it was a soccer game. Wasn't very <laughs> enjoyable no. at all. So I uh, felt like I should be outside and spending my day doing that instead. Um, so yeah, the highlight of my weekend was going to the beach with my dog. <laughs> and like, honestly, that's totally fair because like going to the beach with your dog would be the highlight of most weekends. Like <laughs> yeah. if that was not the highlight of your weekend, you had a really dang good weekend, <laughs> like really dang good weekend. Uh, so no, I mean, th- there are few of God's creatures that enjoy any activity more than dogs enjoy going to the beach, uh, which makes it just like an insanely rewarding experience because yeah. When do you have the opportunity to make something so profoundly happy? Um, so I'm I'm happy for you and your dog uh, that you got to do that. We do have a big show today, completely unrelated to your dog. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we've got Matt Pence here uh, to, to help us prepare for the Timbers taking on the Sounders. We've got to talk about uh, the Timbers insert like adjective here or verb, I guess, or adjective with the verb. Uh, lost to the uh, to, to the Montreal Impact. Got to talk about the Thorns. We got to talk about U.S. Open Cup. We got to talk about a lot of things. So let's talk about a lot of things. Uh, let's start, as we usually do, with the Timbers and their 4-1 um, debacle in Montreal. Uh, beautiful city. As you mentioned, terrible soccer game. Uh, predictions. You called a 1-0 loss with a Nacho Piatti goal. Uh, the Timbers did lose. It certainly was not 1-0, uh, but Ignacio Piatti did have a goal. I called a 2-1 loss with a Diego Valeri goal. The Timbers did lose. It was not 2-1. to That was, like, slightly closer, I guess. Uh, and Diego Valeri did score a goal, uh, the Timbers' only goal of the day. You can give out the points. Uh, how many do you want to give out to the respective sides? Well, I'm inclined to think we should get the same amount of points. I disagree. You, you... Do you, you want to explain your cause? Sure. I was closer on the score. I, I thought the Timbers were going to score a goal. They did score. I thought Montreal was going to score multiple goals. They did score multiple goals. Granted, they scored multiple more multiple goals than I expected. <laughs> but, uh, but but nonetheless, you know, I, I, I got that right. And, you know, the you know, general feeling of, of goals being scored. Uh, I, I, I was, you know, generally more correct than you were about. So I don't think I should get like a ton more points than you, but I think, I think I should get more points. Okay. Well, I I'll give myself 20 points and I'll, I'll give you 22 points. Yeah. Okay. I think that's about right. Uh, just a slight advantage, uh, for this guy on this side of the internet, slight disadvantage for you on the other side of the internet. Uh, so the game started off, I, I think, Kind of sloppily, to be honest. I, I didn't think it, it was a tremendous game. And then uh, Blair and Zamiley, the new uh, the new DP for Montreal, drew a penalty from a Sebastian Blanco foul uh, pretty early on. Uh, let's start off here. Good call, bad call. What, what do you think? What is your call about the call? It, it was a terrible call. Um, I, I am pretty shocked that that call was made. Um, Sebastian Blanco essentially touched him on the shoulder and uh, he went down. 
in an absurd manner for that amount of contact. Um, that that's a call that I, I don't think you usually see see made, and I, I was really surprised uh, to see it made. And as I think we're about to get into, really surprised that it seems like nothing's going to come of it. Um, I don't think that should have been called. I, I think it, it was obviously embellishment, and um, that's one where the Timbers just got very very unlucky. Yeah, I agree. They were very, very unlucky. I, I like looked through the video. I have watched that video dozens of times, uh, mostly looking for like whether there was some sort of other contact between Blanco and Enzamiley. And I can't like a hundred percent confidently say there wasn't like, there may have been some contact between like the feet getting tangled up or something, but it certainly doesn't really look like it. There's nothing obvious to be sure. Uh, and if there's nothing obvious, you would think there would be nothing that would have made him fall down, uh, because if there was enough force somewhere else to, to make it happen, you would think you could see it. Um, and <laughs> the hand on the shoulder, I mean, it, it's, it's just preposterous. It, it was, he literally tapped him on the shoulder. Um, and, and, and Zamiley went down under, under that, that grievous force. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't see what, what the call possibly could have been if it was for the hand on the shoulder. That is spectacular. Uh, that That is an amazingly bad call. Uh, if it was for something else, that is really eagle-eyed because after watching multiple slow motion replays and close-ups, I can't see it. Um, and yeah, so either eagle-eyed or, you know, invented. Uh, but I yeah, I'm at a loss. I, I, I think it's frustrating. Let, let's get to... Uh, I suppose the point uh, the, the, that sort of goes forward is, is that we found out uh, yesterday or perhaps even Monday, uh, we're recording on Wednesday evening, uh, we found out the, that Zamaili will not face discipline, won't even, the play won't even be reviewed uh, by the MLS Disciplinary Committee and, and, and because it's apparently not enough embellishment or, or some such thing. Uh, and, and so, and so Zamaili will, will get off scot-free on, the, on this one. Uh, what do you think? Should Zamiley face discipline? How does this sort of stack up uh, among the, the the precedent that we've seen? And I will add, just well, no, I'll add that later. Uh, just so you know, there's there's one coming, so you know there, there's another wrinkle. But go ahead on those first two bits. What do you think? Yeah, I was shocked actually um, when I heard. I think we both heard around the same time that he this play would not be reviewed. I absolutely thought um, coming out of that game that this would be reviewed and he would face likely a fine and a suspension for the for it being embellishment that led to a PK and uh, directly influenced the game. So um, I, I don't know what the MLS disciplinary committee is not seeing in this. I don't know why they're not seeing enough embellishment or whatever they've decided, but this seems like an obvious example where they should be looking at embellishment. And I, I think you look back to just a few weeks ago when Diana Spria um, was fined for embellishment. It, it was a similar type situation. So I, I do not see what they see there. If they aren't going to even review a play like this, uh, which obviously led to um, more of a change in the outcome of the game. Um, I, I think this is a bad decision and a bad precedent from the MLS disciplinary committee. So in light of that, I remember a certain charming, pioneering uh, young blogger who, after the Espria incident in particular, said, hey, look, I think there might be something else going on here. I, I, I think the, the disciplinary committee might be sending the Timbers a, a, a bit of a message because in two weeks in a row at that point, 
uh, or, or two out of three weeks, excuse me, at, at that point. Uh, the, the disciplinary committee had brought action against the Timbers that I, I think everybody could agree were relatively borderline. You said, nah. You were very journalistic about it, and you were like, you blogger, that is too hot a take. Go blog on your blog. Uh, that is ridiculous. Um, you may, may not have said it in like those words, <laughs> but but those words are more fun. Uh, are you are are you ready and willing to say that that I was right? I say as I'm like making gun fingers in the air. <laughs> no, I'm I'm not. I I don't. I just I just don't. Maybe maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm naive about this, but I, I don't nest. I don't think the MLS disciplinary committee is trying to send the Timbers a message. And I, I think if they are, that would really be against their, their purpose. I, I mean, I don't think they're there really to send teams a message. I think they're there to review the plays um, as they happen and, and make fair decisions. So um, I, I guess I just, it, it's just hard for me to believe that that um, would actually be the case. So um, maybe I shouldn't be, but I guess I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt on that. That is very charitable of, of, of you. Um, I, you know, and, and I think that is that is a really good instinct to try to give the benefit of the doubt whenever possible. I honestly can't figure out what the other explanation here is, though. I mean, I don't, I don't see how you could not only review the Espria incident, but but impose a sanction uh, on Espria, and then. Just a few weeks later, in light of, I mean, I, frankly, I'm sure the Timbers sort of raised this as an issue uh, in, in in asking for a review of this. Essentially, look at this and not only say, no, it's not worth a sanction at the end of the day, but to even just say, I, because we heard about this on Monday morning, uh, you know, I mean, you, you, I tweeted it out pretty early Monday morning. You retweeted fairly similarly saying yes, uh, at a similar time saying yes, uh, this is what I'm hearing as well. Uh, so, I mean, we heard about this on Monday morning, so it's not like they would have had time to review because there were games through Saturday, but instead the disciplinary committee here just said, no, we're not even looking at it. This isn't, this isn't even enough, uh, to, to merit the sort of sitting this down in front of the whole committee and saying, is this worth the suspension? And I, I mean, I'm totally at a loss as to what the possible explanation could be if they're not even going to take a look. I mean, you know, maybe they would have ultimately decided, well, we can't tell if maybe there was something else that caused him to go down. I mean, maybe that would have been the ultimate decision, but I mean, it, it certainly walks like embellishment and certainly talks like embellishment. And if that's not enough to even get it to the committee, I mean, I, I don't know how you can square the two instances and say, no, it's all just, you know, ordinary course of business on the up and up. Uh, I, I think it's a huge problem for the committee. Uh, I think it, it, it's a problem for MLS, and I think it's got serious legitimacy issues in Portland in particular, because it's sort of just given this one the back of the hand uh, two weeks after you know on, on what was clearly an instance of embellishment, but not an important instance of embellishment, deciding to discipline Espria. I, I, I think I would be interested to hear the explanation because, frankly, I am at a loss to provide one on my own. Uh, one that I think is difficult to explain, but from an entirely different uh, perspective, is Diego Chara's red card. Uh, it, it was only about 10 or 15 or so minutes after the penalty uh, in the first half. He essentially, I don't i don't know how to put this into words because it was so, such like an awkward motion, but he like pushed Nacho Piatti in the face with his forearm. Uh, yeah. I, I I went with swiped uh, his swiped. arm at Piatti's face. I, that's what I did in my post. I like swiped. Uh, is there any debate about this? I, I mean, I, 
is there any debate about whether it should have been a red card or any? I mean, if you had to defend Diego Chara, like you just defended the disciplinary committee, uh, would you, what would you say? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't defend Diego Chara. I think he lost the Timbers the game. I, I think he made a terrible mistake and it, it was going to be an uphill battle from that point if the Timbers were, the Timbers had a chance to get back in this game. And I think even after the red card, they put in a decent fight for a little while. Um, I think he lost the Timbers the game. And when you look at the period between that PK and Chara's red card, the Timbers were frustrated. Blanco was having words with the bench. There was, I think Guzman was shown a yellow card there. There was frustration um, from the team. It was clear. They, and I don't think they maintained their composure. And I think Chara in particular um, was in a position where he should have maintained his composure. And he did something that's just indefensible. It, It made a rash decision. I don't know what he expected was going to happen there. Um, and then the minute he swiped his arm into Piotti's face, he was going to get sent off. And um, this is an instance where you say Diego Chara is a great player for the Timbers, has, is a tremendous veteran, but he made a terrible decision and he lost the Timbers the game on Saturday. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, and, and it is true that the contact between Chara's forearm and, and Piotti's face was not that great, but it doesn't matter. He he intentionally tried to hit him in the face. That is a red card. Every time. Every single time. There is is no mitigation. There's no defense. It doesn't matter if he said something about your mother. Like, every single time that is a red card, period, end of story. And this was, yeah, it is entirely on Chara. And I agree with you. I wrote about it after the game. I, I... I thought that put the Timbers behind a massive, massive eight ball, being a goal down, being a man down uh, against a team that, that likes to fill up the the channels as much as Montreal does, uh, where the Timbers were just going to have numbers problems because they had to push their wingers to try to get back into the game and try to get the goal back. I, I thought it put the Timbers in a, I mean, not a, an impossible situation because you see teams come back from that, but a very, very, very difficult situation. And it was because he just lost it. And it was a no-brainer red card. Uh, sure, the Timbers may have been frustrated about, about the penalty, but guess what? The, I mean, bad breaks and bad calls happen, and it's frustrating and it's unfortunate, and you wish the, the league was going to be a little bit more consistent in how they dealt with it afterward. But in the game, you just got to deal with it. I mean, look, I, it's, you know, I, I think we're going to make some references to this later on in the show. Uh, but it, it's like the 2015 U.S. Open Cup for the Sounders. Were there some calls in that game that, that they had like took issue with and maybe could even have good arguments against? Sure, but you can't rip up the gosh darn referee's notebook just like you can't push a guy in the face with your forearm. Uh, so, you know, I mean, <laughs> to, the, to the extent the Timbers lost their composure because of that, they lost the game as a result of that loss of composure, and there's no excuse for it. It's on them. It's on the Timbers. It's on Chara. Uh, and, and I mean, I don't know any better word to characterize that response uh, than unprofessional, period. Uh, they've, their job, their profession, is, is to stay focused on the game, to stay into it, and, and, and to come back and find a way uh, to get out from under that first goal. And they sp- failed at that spectacularly uh, this last weekend. Um, so after the red card, as we sort of discussed, it was a bit of a debacle. Uh, do you think that is more indicative of the challenges of being a man down uh, and a goal down? Or do you think it's more indicative of the Timbers being in a just downright bad run of form? I think the Timbers, I, I think the Timbers are in, in a bad run of form. I, I think this is now three games where you look um, at the performance and it hasn't been good enough. I, I think even in that Dallas game, you 
they blew a lead, although I think that was a good result on the road, but they had the opportunity to win. So even going back four weeks, they haven't won in four games. Um, but I, I, I can't take a game where the Timbers are down a man and try to analyze it too much and, and, and say that, oh, they lost this game because they played terribly at it for 72 minutes when they were, were d- down to 10 players. Um, that red card for me was the game. I, I mean, Chara lost the Timbers the game, in my opinion. And I, I actually did think the Timbers showed some fight in the remainder of the first half. They were able to pull a goal back. It was only 2-1 at halftime. They seemed like they were in it. And I think Montreal was just able to expose them. And I, I think a lot of the ways that the impact were able to expose the Timbers is, is in the second half and um, was because of the time and space they had because the Timbers were down a man. It, it wasn't because the Timbers were playing bad soccer. It was because they were in a position where it was very difficult on them to close down um, space and, and shut down Montreal um, in the system they were trying to play. Um, with only 10 players and while also trying to come back and recognizing that they were down goals and needed to find um, some offense as well. So um, I, I think when you look at the last three, four weeks as a whole, yeah, this is not good to see where the Timbers are. They've dropped from first to fifth place in, in I believe, three weeks. Um, the s- strong start to the season is kind of out the window at this point. The Timbers uh, haven't done well um, to kind of build off that. Um, I am concerned about their form in general, and it's disappointing that they finally have their top lineup out there for the first time since the opening day against Minnesota, and they couldn't make the most of it. But I'm hesitant to read too much into a game uh, that I feel like was, for the most part, um, the high. maybe in some cases they come back, but for the most part over in the 18th minute. Yeah, I think I, I I think that's perfectly fair, and I'm very much of two two minds about this because I think that caution in drawing too much from this game is 100% warranted. You never want to draw sweeping conclusions from a game in which a team was a goal down, a man down, you know, 20 minutes in, because as we've talked about, that's that's bad. I mean, you're going to lose that game 95, 98 percent of the time. Uh, that that game is going to result in nothing, and so. And and I thought the the primary problems were were just just there. I think you're totally reasonable to point out that the Timbers, especially in the attack, created a good chunk of chances. Uh, not just in the first half, but also in the second half, created a, a fair number of chances. They had what was I think an, an ar- <laughs> the best penalty shot of the game, but an arguable penalty shot uh, that would have given them a, a prime opportunity to go three two. Uh, even after going down 3-1, they were still sort of fighting in the game. And it really wasn't over until Montreal scored the fourth. So, you know, credit to the Timbers' attack uh, that even with the lack of numbers, I, I thought David Guzman was very helpful in the attack. I thought Diego Valeri was just very good in the game, uh, as was Fernando Adi. And then uh, Seba Blanco had some moments where uh, where he was helpful in the attack. Also, he had some moments where he was in really good spots, including immediately before the penalty, by the way, uh, where he was in some good spots and and kind of blew it. Uh, so, you know, I mean, those are, you know, that is to their credit that they were still able to be dangerous, but I mean, you know, to some extent, the, the defense that the Timbers you know, had cobbled together to be good enough at the beginning of the season just isn't getting it done right now. Uh, it's not sort of cleaning up the chances that it needs to clean up. And yes, this was always going to be a very difficult game. Uh, and it was always going to be a, a, a very difficult sort of circumstance to manage because, 
Montreal had structural advantages that fed right into the kind of thing they like to do. But, you know, I mean, still, they, they conceded four goals, and that's not good under any circumstances. And I think there are certainly things that you can point to on a for from a number of different guys, from Guzman to Alice Powell to Liam Ridgewell, uh, that you can point to and say they need to be better and they need to keep uh, the team in the game a little bit better. So, I mean, I, I think it is totally fair to be a little bit concerned, notwithstanding the man down, uh, uh, about the the defense and and whether sort of over the medium term it's doing enough. We're going to talk more about this uh, in, in a little bit. So put a pin in that one. We're not done talking about uh, just that issue. Uh, other news we got since we recorded the last time, the Timbers are going to be opening up U.S. Open Cup at, drum roll please, the Seattle Sounders. Uh, it's going to be at the Starfire Sports Complex in Tequila, Washington. Uh, this is going to be the third season in a row that the Timbers, unlike the vast majority of MLS teams, open U.S. Open Cup against another team. It's going to be the third season out of four in which the Timbers have traveled to Starfire in either the fourth, which is the first round for MLS teams, uh, or or fifth, the round of 16, uh, to Starfire to play the Sounders. Um, what's, I mean, what's the story behind this, Jamie? I I know you've done a little bit of digging on this this week. What is, why is this happening (laughs) and how do you feel about it? I I feel, I feel very unhappy about it. I'll get into that in a second. Um, I, I, I've been trying to speak to us soccer about this this week. Um, I'm been in contact with them. I'm still waiting to hear back on some answers to some questions. Um, the, the basic reason why this is happening is because they, it's not, um, it's a misconception to think this is completely random that they just put name teams names in a hat and pull them out. And the Timbers have just been very unlucky. They do try to set this up regionally. And that's very important because the Timbers are in a region where I do not think there are a lot of options um, for them as compared to other regions to play these lower division teams. So the Timbers are kind of in a bad spot because of that. And I think I need to find out some more information from us soccer about it, but it just seems like, they're in a bad spot and us soccer really hasn't done anything to ensure any equitability on that. Um, and to ensure that even though the timbers from a regional sense, maybe there's not a ton of teams they can play, but let's try to make sure this gets switched up year to year. And if we have to go out of region, we have to go out of region or something like that. Um, they, that clearly hasn't happened. Um, so the timbers have been in a situation where they've had to play an MLS team in the fourth round three years in a row. And I, I think it's completely unfair because essentially the, the U S open cup is asking the Timbers to play an extra game on, on everyone else. Because I, for the most part, this is a situation where almost teams can play their subs, their rookies or younger guys midweek. They don't have to necessarily worry about playing their best players, um, on short rest with an MLS game on the weekend and a midweek U S open cup game. Um, or in the Timbers case, if they do play, um, <laughs> They, they are going to have to balance that. And that makes it very difficult for them to win that opening game. And if they do want to play their starters, they are essentially getting an extra game in the U S open cup to have a chance to win this tournament. Um, so I think it's completely inequitable. I don't think it's fair to the Timbers. This is a tournament that if you win it, it's, it's a big deal. Um, and I think the Timbers have been put in a position where it's difficult to win it. Obviously the Sounders have won U S open cup before, but one of these two teams has to come out of the first round and it's a tough game at a bad time in the schedule that other MLS teams aren't having to deal with. And I think us soccer needs to find a way to make this a little bit more equitable, switch it off year to year, go out of region or change the region. If it's 
going to disadvantage two teams, essentially the Sounders and Timbers year after year after year. Um, And it's just, if I'm sure that I know the Timbers are unhappy about this, Caleb Porter talked about it today. And I think that's rightly so. Um, They are entering this tournament at a disadvantage um, from almost every other MLS team. And it's year after year after year. And U S soccer has done nothing to change it. Here's the other thing. And I agree with, all of that, but I, I want to add to it. And, and that is the element of fun. Because these, especially the early round games in which it's two MLS teams sort of playing, usually kind of mixed lineups. I don't think they're all that fun. Like, I, I don't think they're, and that's especially so when they're at Starfire and like you're playing billiards uh, <laughs> more than you're playing soccer. But I mean, I, I just don't think they, they lend themselves to being that great of games. Uh, and I don't think they have a really high entertainment value to them. Uh, the games, when it's an MLS team, though, against a lower division team, tend to be really fun. Uh, and it's either because they're kind of a blowout, and so it, it's sort of fun to see, you know, it, it's, it's sort of fun to see that happen. Or, and frankly, more often, they're really fun, really spirited, kind of close games uh, in, in which a super, super motivated lower division team is really trying to go and get an MLS scalp. And I miss that. Honestly, those are the most fun games of the, of the tournament. I, I almost see it like like the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, where the, the most fun games in the NCAA tournament are not when it's, are you know, are, are not the games when, when it's like a, you know, the eight seed versus the nine seed. It's always when it's like McNeese State versus Kentucky. Uh, and, and you're like waiting to see if McNeese State is going to like make a, a, a run or is, is going to make it a game and maybe pull off an upset against Kentucky. Those are the most fun games of the NCAA tournament, just like uh, the the interdivisional games are the most fun games in, in U.S. Open Cup, and that's just something that the Timbers don't get. You're right about the sort of competitive advantage issues. Uh, you're, you're, you're right about sort of the boredom of playing the same team in the tournament every year. That is, that is an issue in other parts of the country as well. Though. So, you know, I mean, be that what it is. Uh, but, but, you know, I mean, it, it, it's fun to watch these games against lower division teams, against teams that you're maybe not as familiar with, uh, maybe against players that like you remember being in MLS once, but aren't anymore. Uh, those are a good time. And that just doesn't happen, uh, apparently in the Northwest or at least in Portland, uh, which is too bad. Um, yeah, I agree that, that ultimately if, if it's a matter of drawing regions super small to control costs, uh, and drawing regions a little bit larger in order to ensure sort of competitive balance and competitive equity, uh, you have to, you you have to, you know, I, I guess, err toward the latter. And look, I mean, th- this is not the only sort of competitive problem that U.S. Open Cup has. Uh, U.S. Open Cup has a number of competitive problems, including the fact that we're deciding home and away in single game playoffs by a coin flip. Uh, the the proven record of home teams in U.S. Open Cup and essentially home cooked results in U.S. Open Cup uh, becoming uh, be, becoming a major major factor uh, in who advances in the tournament and and ultimately who is likely to win the tournament. It comes down basically to yeah, you've got to be good in order to win U.S. Open Cup, but you should probably also be good at winning coin flips. And, and when you're when you're giving away. A CCL berth on on <laughs> insignificant part a team's prowess at winning coin flips. I think that's really stupid. I think that that is indicative of a bad system, uh, and I think it's it, it's indicative of a tournament that even though it, you're right, it sort of has the glitz and glam as far as what you get out of it. 
uh, a tournament that is deeply, deeply flawed from a competitive perspective. Tim Brissett's, it, it, was that too hot a take today? Did it, we don't have a, a, a an HTS TBNL today uh, because we have Matt Pence coming up, uh, and, and and that is a much, much better use of our time. But do you think that's too hot a take on the U.S. Open Cup to sort of trash on it the way I just did? <laughs> no, I, no, I'm okay with it because um, I, I really think this is inequitable, and I, I don't understand why U.S. soccer hasn't been able to change this. I mean, the Timbers did play Orlando city U 23s, I think back in 2014. I mean, that was not clearly in the same region, but that was able to happen. I, I don't understand why we look at the last three years and it's been very strictly regional and the Timbers have ended up being the team that has to face another MLS team in all three of those cases. It's, I think it's absurd. I think it makes the tournament a lot less fun for the reasons you mentioned, but because I I think the Timbers are at a disadvantage. And if it was a different team at a disadvantage, I I think I'd feel the same way. I want any tournament with implications like the U.S. Open Cup has to be equitable to to, for fans and for me to analysts, uh, writers, everyone to feel like every team entering this has an equal chance to win. And it's just about how they play on the field, not that it's decided by a coin flip um, who's going to advance and not that uh, certain teams are getting much more difficult opponents for no better reason than where they're located every year in and year out. Okay. Yes. U.S. Open Cup, in my view, uh, better in theory than in actual <laughs> practice. Uh, Timbers at Sounders, finally getting back to this. Uh, Diego Charo will obviously be suspended as a result of his red card in Montreal. Uh, but let's get to the nitty gritty, and that is uh, bringing in our good friend Matt Pence, uh, who has been covering the Sounders and other Seattle sports for quite some time, uh, to give us a little bit of a primer on the game. So here is our talk with Matt. It's our pleasure now to welcome in uh, freelance sports journalist extraordinaire, uh, Matt Pence, who, who knows the Seattle soccer scene, I, I think, just about as well as anybody after covering the Sounders for uh, several years. Matt, how's it going, man? Going well. How about you guys? No complaints on this end for either me or, or Jamie. Jamie, do you have any complaints before we uh, get going? No. Yeah, no complaints. No complaints at all. Actually, we do have a question that is sort of like, buried in a complaint so i think we both just lied to you um anyway it's it's been a little bit of a rough go for the sounders thus far this year they have 13 points through 12 games you you know this is something that is obviously very familiar to people in portland uh after winning mls cup do you think they're going through a bit of a post mls cup lull like the timbers did a year ago I think that that's fair. I think that there are a number of different complications with that i don't think it's quite as cut and dry as the hangover persisting, but a lot of the issues are wrapped up in that MLS Cup run. As, like you said, as Portland is well aware, there is just not a lot of turnaround to allow guys to kind of just get healthy and get rested and get everything that you do in the offseason is so condensed into what, five and a half, six weeks? And you compound that with multiple founders going to national team camp and it's almost like they started the season with a tired team, uh, which is not ideal. And they just don't have that, that spark about them right now. Do you think it's been a, a bigger sort of problem from a front office perspective of, you know, having extra salary cap uh, burdens and, and, and that sort of thing? Or do you think it really is just sort of a physical matter of they haven't been able to sort of just turn around as quickly as you just referenced a moment ago. I mean, I, I guess, you know, you see the signings and it seems like teams after MLS cops do sort of 
shop around the MLS market more than they otherwise would. Do you think that's been something that's limited the Sounders or, or what? I think for sure that the turnover has played a pretty significant role. So, I mean, for years now, pretty much since Garth Lagerway came in um, in early 2015, they just talked about his desire to get younger and remake the roster. And you're kind of seeing that come through now, but that has resulted in a lot of veterans heading out the door. And it, and it is sort of, it's kind of popular and I feel like not trendy is not the right word, but it feels like a lot of fans are encouraging their teams to build young and build from within. And I definitely get all that, but you lose something whenever you do get rid of all of these veterans, like a Tyrone Mears and Nelson Valdez and Andreas Ivanchet and Eric Freeberg. Those are a lot of guys walking out the door with a lot of experience, a lot of big game experience. And you're seeing that kind of come through. So looking at the lineup this um, weekend, in terms of injuries, lineup selections, what are the Sounders looking at, uh, looking like heading into Saturday's game? I mean, the big question is whether Will Bruin gets the start up top for sure. Um, he's kind of been in and out of the lineup, and, and the Sounders still haven't quite figured out how to use him and Jordan Morris together alongside Nicholas Ladero and Clint Dempsey. So Bruin's dealing with sort of a, a lingering knock right now. And so if he is healthy, does he even start? That'll kind of give a pretty good idea of, of how the Sounders are going to look to attack on Saturday. We've seen a number of different sort of looks on the Sounders back line as, as the season has progressed, uh, be it uh, Alfaro, a, a number of guys really have, have sort of stepped into central defense in particular. What do you expect to see along that back four for Seattle? And, and how do you think that that's working out? Is that something that, uh, that Brian Schmetzer is really just having to sort of duct tape together uh, and go on a game to game basis? Or do you think that's something that's starting to come together on, on, a, on a larger perspective? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it is as much tinkering as much as it's just been out of necessity. I don't think that it's really been sort of trying to find a tactical fit as much as it is just wanting to get everybody healthy and ready to go. I mean, I think when everyone's at full strength, it's pretty obvious how the Sounders want to line up with Joven Jones on the left, Torres and Marshall in the middle, and Evans on the right. But you've barely been able to see that this year with all the injuries that they've had. So it's kind of just, like you said, duct taping it together um, and trying to find a backup combination that works. But I do think that once everybody gets healthy and Evans is finally back in the fold, once they get going, I think that you'll see them start to kind of congeal a little bit more as the season continues here. And who do you expect for, for Saturday? I think it'll be close to that. I mean, everyone's close to, to full strength right now. Everyone's still a little bit banged up, but this might be close to that first time that you're finally seeing that first four group together. So uh, the, the, one of the pieces of news last week was, was that the Timbers and Sounders are going to be facing off in the fourth round, which for MLS teams is the first round of the U.S. Open Cup. This is the third time in four years that, that the Timbers of Sounders have faced each other uh, in USOC. And in both times, it's been either in the fourth round or the round of 16. A lot of folks in Portland have sort of had the attitude that that is essentially, you know, kind of like, not again. I mean, come on. We've got to play the Sounders in an early round Open Cup game again. Do you think that's the prevailing attitude in Seattle as well, or or is there more excitement about the, the, the rivalry as a whole? Oh, no, most certainly. It is most certainly uh, not again type uh, reaction, I think, from almost everything that I've seen. And while I understand that, it's also understandable from the, the Open Cup setup standpoint that if you're going to do it regionally, 
there's not a lot of teams out here. So what are you going to do? So I think that it's just kind of a a necessary evil that gets built into every year. And and Hey, I'm not, I'm personally not really going to complain. I like, I love this rivalry. I like the open cup. I'm fine with it, but I also kind of understand the, the frustration with this sort of annual series. So the, the Sounders seem to play all their uh, Open Cup games at Starfire. Why is that? It just kind of lends itself well, I think. Uh, and it's a combination of, A, it lends itself well, just in terms of the, the local interest and in making sure that they can draw it out. And then, B, I mean, over the years, they have built up a very impressive record there. And the longer that that streak went on, it's kind of like the, the national team playing in Columbus against Mexico all the time, even though it's not like <laughs> Columbus is necessarily this U.S. soccer hotbed, but if you keep winning, why are you going to change it up? So while Starfire might have some drawbacks and just in terms of, of Wi-Fi, if you guys have ever been up here, that's a problem <laughs> yes. for sure. But there, is. there are drawbacks, but the Sounders win there. It does make for a very unique atmosphere, and I don't see them changing that up anytime soon. Have there been any any significant updates since that that famous 2015 game uh, or the red card wedding, as many as many people know? Have have there been any sort of significant updates to the field, the stands, or anything like that uh, at at Starfire? Uh, not particularly. No, I would venture to say none, but maybe they upgraded the concession. That's possible. But no, I don't think that there's been a lot. It's been updated since that uh, very infamous showdown. Yeah, so ex- expect the same sort of, I, I guess, ping pong style uh, game to say nothing of the intensity coming from the stands. Uh, you know, uh, Matt, I've got to ask you one more thing before we let you go. Uh, and this is, uh, the, this is I, I think, important for us media folks to, to chime in on. Starting this week, or earlier this week with Brian Schmetzer, there was there was sort of a quip about whether Timber Joey is in fact a, a legitimate. I'm, I'm quoting here. I want to be clear. Lumberman, 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 uh, lumberman. I think lumberman. lumberman is the, the way to go with it. <laughs> Caleb Porter responded today. What I want to know from you is, is this like the worst bants ever? I mean, this is supposed to be a sort of like rivalry, and and we've gotten into this sort of back and forth about the Timbers mascot using a made-up word. Is, is, is this just like the nadir of rivalry bants that we're experiencing this week? It's pretty bad, but I think it's almost self-aware into how bad and sort of corny that it is, and I kind of <laughs> like that about it. I think it's sort of reached that transcendence. It's so over the top, and everybody knows how ridiculous it is that I actually kind of think it does add to the discussion, and it's added a nice little subplot to this game. So I'm fine with it, but yeah, it is certainly ridiculous and of no consequence whatsoever <laughs> i guess when you when you face off four times a year uh at least uh, assuming no no playoff uh, appearances you know when you face off four times a year you got to talk about something right and so you're probably even though this is the first one scraping the bottom of the barrel uh early on just trying to find something to you know kind of have something to talk about i guess yeah no for sure we, we, we will bring in the lumbermen when we need to and i think it's that time of year for sure <laughs> all right hey thanks so much matt for uh for helping us get ready for this game uh we'll see you up in seattle uh this weekend that's saturday at 11 30 that game uh up at CenturyLink field this time before we get to starfire next month uh thanks again for coming on and we will certainly have you back uh, again in the future for sure thanks for having me and uh, yeah looking forward to seeing you guys this weekend a big thanks once again to Matt for coming on the show. Uh, yeah, and let's like, let's sort of from our end, I suppose, take, go at this with a question from Dave uh, as to what we expect from the Timbers. 
Uh, Dave wants to know, do you expect the sort of San Jose, Montreal timbers uh, as far as the road form goes? Or do you expect the Dallas LA Galaxy timbers uh, to show their head, uh, to show their face? You don't really show your head. That doesn't make sense. Uh, to show their to show their face in Seattle on Saturday. What do you say? Um, it's tough the, with the way the Timbers have been playing to have, um, a lot of optimism for a game like this. I, I do think that the fact that they're close to full health and they will, um, for the most part have the attacking, um, at least the front four, um, the best front four on the field does give me some hope. They won't have Chara obviously. And that is a big blow, um, I think to the lineup, but I, I'm expecting them to put in a better performance. Uh, I think, again, Montreal is hard to read too much into. I think San Jose is somewhat of an anomaly when you look at the full year and the type of form they put in. They've been in most every game except San Jose um, and Montreal. Um, Even games they've lost or drawn, they've put up a competitive fight. And and so I do expect them to put up a fight in Seattle. That said, I, I don't necessarily expect them to go in and automatically get a win they haven't won and in the regular season in seattle it's a tough place to play seattle has had um a rough season so far but they are also a really good team with a lot of talent and um rivalry games can also get a little chippy they can also um be difficult and not necessarily the prettiest game so i, I think it's a hard one to predict but i am expecting a fight from the timbers it, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get the result Yes, although predicting a fight from the Timbers can mean a couple different things uh, these days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not not a Chara swiping fight. Like a... <laughs> well, it certainly won't be Chara. Yes, um, it won't be Chara, right. <laughs> you know, this is, this is a hard one. And, and, and I guess, I mean, sort of maybe it's recency bias, but uh, I'm concerned that, it, that it's going to be more like San Jose Montreal Timbers. I, I think they have real questions now to answer in the middle of the field. I, I expect it'll be Lawrence Olam and David Guzman. Uh, and, and other than a few minutes at the end of the game against Montreal, we really haven't seen how that dynamic plays out. And so that's a big question. Uh, I, going on the road against a Sounders team that, yes, they've definitely had their struggles. Uh, and frankly, they've played really, really poor soccer at times this year. I mean, I, I, I don't think uh, there, there are sort of any two ways about that. But there have been times where they've looked really bad. There have been times where they, they've looked okay and haven't gotten the result uh, out of it. But there have been times where they've looked straight up bad. But they're nonetheless a team that, that has a, a ton of attacking talent, that, that has a, a ton of weapons. And I'm concerned about that defensive midfield balance uh, and that defensive midfield relationship uh, going up against a team that has a Nico Ladero, that has a Clint Dempsey, uh, you know, that has Jordan Morris, uh, that, that has guys like Will Bruin uh, and Harry Ship that they can bring in, Flacco Fernandez. Uh, you know, they, they can, they can uh, put Christian Roldan into, into the attack at times. They can bring Ozzy Alonso into the attack at times. They can certainly get Jovan Jones uh, overlapping. I mean, I, I think those are, that is a good attacking sort of, sort of group of talent. Uh, and when you're, not quite certain or, or, or not quite confident in uh, the relationship between your two D mids. I, I, I think that's a scary group of talent to be perfectly honest. Uh, and so I, I mean, I, not to be a, a negative Nancy, but I, I guess I kind of expect uh, this to go a little bit more like San Jose and Montreal than, uh, than the Dallas or LA galaxy games. Uh, a few questions before we move on to the thorns. Wes wants to know, are the Timbers a dirty team? Simple question. Does it have a simple answer? 
I don't think the Timbers are a dirty team. And I also I also find it this is the same question um people were asking about the Thorns last year, and I didn't think they were a dirty team at that time. Um, I think the Timbers can be a physical team. I think they have some players like Chara and Guzman who are pretty gritty um players that aren't afraid to go in for tackles and are gonna pick up cards. And I, I think you want some of those players on the field, but I, I don't get the sense from how the Timbers play overall. Um, the type of personalities on the team and even the, those personalities on the field that this is a particularly dirty team. It's hard to say no in light of their sort of recent record, though. And, and you know, I mean, looking at Fernando Adi's suspension for his elbow, it, it wasn't, you know, I, I thought it was very genuinely sort of a borderline suspension. But frankly, it was a pretty tough elbow. Uh, you know, he swung his arm back and he swung it back with some force, whether he was trying to, to hurt Olam. Uh, I, I think you can debate and I think there is question about that. Uh, but it was, you know, I mean, it, it, it was a tough one. Uh, you know, David Guzman certainly gets stuck into some challenges. Uh, Diego Chara certainly gets stuck into some challenges. He's not as, as dirty or as hot headed uh, as people make him out to be. I think that was only his fourth MLS red card in six or seven. I, I have trouble with numbers beyond four, uh, but six or seven MLS seasons. Um, you know, but you know, I, I think this is something that the Timbers and, and, and sort of their on-field approach and attitude and professionalism, I think this is something that the Timbers need to keep an eye on and need to sort out and, and, and need to make sure it doesn't become a, a recurring thing. Because frankly, I mean, I, I would be inclined just sort of knowing, I mean, not necessarily, not personally like buddy, buddy, but just knowing from personal experience, the personalities, I would agree. This isn't a, a group of mean people. Uh, this isn't a group of, of of guys that I would characterize as dirty players, but the record this year is sort of what the record is, and and they have to answer for that. And so, I mean, I this year, I mean, I I would have a hard time saying no, absolutely not. And I think that's something that, that the Timbers certainly need to keep in mind. Joey wants us to 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 do some predictions and and asks, will the Timbers stay above the red line all season? I think that the Timbers do have the benefit and I, we saw some articles. I think our friend Kayla Murray wrote about this today and that the Eastern conference has looked like the better conference so far. The Timbers do have the advantage that I think there are some teams in the Western conference that just haven't done well um, at all this year. I mean, Minnesota who kind of looked like they'd be the laughing stock of uh, MLS is in, um, is in ninth place in the Western conference. So they're not even at the very bottom. There's, we all Salt Lake, Colorado Rapids, LA Galaxy um, are not the team that they have been in the past by any means. And the Seattle Sounders have had a really bad start to the season. So I think it's possible because I think the Timbers um, are a team that is going to have ups and downs, but it is not going to suddenly go um, into a downworld spiral and, and go. I, I think they are a team that can turn things around. I think they're going to benefit from when they ultimately do bring in a center back, that could be a big boost for them. Um, but I, I'm saying it more because I, I'm not sure how good some of the lower teams in the Western Conference are going to turn out to be. Um, the Timbers are right near the red line right now. So a few more losses, they could easily drop down. Um, but there are teams behind them that have to show a lot better than they've been shown so far this season. Yeah, the Timbers right now are four points above the red line. The LA Galaxy sort of representing uh, the 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 red line or immediately below the red line at 14 points. Um, 
I'm say this with about 50.0001% confidence, but I'm going to say yes. And the reason is I, I think the Timbers are sort of are, are near the nadir of their form. Uh, I think they're not playing well right now, but they're certainly a, a, a talented team. There are reasons uh, that you can sort of identify as to why they're struggling. And, and, and there are reasons that, you know, aside from the defensive questions, which I think are legitimate questions, uh, that, that I think you can look at certain things over the course of the last four or five games and say, yeah, the Timbers have had some injuries. They've had some suspensions. They've had some red cards, red card uh, to manage, and they haven't managed it well, but those are sort of independent things that, that, that don't necessarily reflect future performance. So, you know, there is that. And and I, I think it's important to keep that stuff in mind that I, I think this is below sort of where we would expect the Timbers' performance to be overall. I also think they're going through a really difficult stretch of their schedule. Uh, I said several weeks ago, I think this is probably about the toughest stretch. They have one more stretch, I think, in August or so. But this is about the toughest stretch of the Timbers' schedule over the course of the season. And in, and it's because they have four four out of five games away from home. Uh, they have some tough opponents. Um, it just a lot of travel, uh, you know, and, and so it's understandable that they would drop some points during this period as many points as they have. No, they should have, they should have gleaned more points from this stretch than they have. Uh, but you know, I mean, you have to take that into account. So I'm going to say, yes, the Timbers will stay above the red line all season. Um, but because of the defensive issues, frankly, I'm not super confident in saying, uh, yes. So like maybe it's a yes, Brad. Wants to know, uh, Liam Ridgewell's return and recent results, or recent poor results, to be specific. Do you think there's any correlation? Has Ridgewell lived up to the billing, and is he hurting the team? I don't I don't think that... I think that Ridgewell has had some poor plays. I think he's kind of held the line too deep. That's something we've talked about. Um, but I don't think it, this, it's on him that these poor results are happening. I think he can do a better job than he has. Um, but I also think there's some moments where he comes up with big plays and he is a very experienced defender. He's a veteran. He should generally um, is good positioning, is is a good defender. I, I don't think that the Timbers would be doing better on defense. It was Ridgewell still injured. So I, I'm going to go with no. Um, I'm going to say yes, but I don't necessarily disagree with the last point that you made. I'm not concerned. I'm not, you know, convinced the Timbers are better defensively, uh, if Liam Ridgewell had, had been out by any means, but look, I mean, in many ways, Liam Ridgewell is as important as any player on the Timbers roster because they are sort of making, just making do at right center back. Uh, this is not a super talented defensive team. Uh, and so they need Liam Ridgewell, the leader of their defense, to be good. And he hasn't been. I mean, he they need him to be sort of the rock on that back line. And, and you know, I mean, yes, you can go back through and identify some, some individual errors on Ridgewell. Yes, you can go back through and identify some systemic problems that have been going on with, with, with the defense that are attributable uh, as much as anybody to their leader. Uh, and, you know, I mean, no, do I think he's the only person to blame? No, do you know, do I think he is... Uh, he is the reason the Timbers have been losing. No, I, I think that's going too far. But is there any correlation between Ridgewell disappointing and not meeting expectations uh, and the Timbers struggling to get results recently? You betcha. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think that is important. He needs to be better if the Timbers are going to be good. And he needs to be better because he needs to make the back line as a whole better. And he hasn't done it. Period. 
So, I mean, I, I do think that Liam Ridwell is sort of deserving or merits uh, special scrutiny or, or particular scrutiny uh, when it comes to uh, the, the Timbers performance of the Timbers back line uh, over the course of the last three weeks when he's been back. I don't think it's been very good. Uh, and I think that's hurt the team. Uh, Breakers and Thorns. 2-2 was the final score. Nadia Nadim uh, put together a second half brace to bring the Thorns back into a game that they were trailing 2-0 uh, after, uh, just after halftime. Uh, our predictions, uh, we'll see what you do with these. Uh, you called a 1-1 draw and a Lindsay Horan goal. Uh, I called a 2-0 loss, so like for 48 minutes uh, or 50-some. But uh, for, for, for a chunk of the game, I was right, which means I was wrong. Uh, I called a 2-0 loss with a Rose Lavelle goal and assist. What do you say? I mean, I, I don't think you can really get any points for that one. Uh, Lavelle had an goal. assist, like a hockey assist, an assist. The Bruins are a thing in Boston, so hockey assists count. <laughs> I think you should get zero. Oh, um, I think mine, I didn't get the Haran goal. Um, so I guess based on that, I can't give myself any points from that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I'm not getting any on that side, you are not getting any, any for the Haran goal. But similarly, uh, on your she side. drew a penalty and created a, a second goal and she dominated that half. Um, so I don't get anything for that since I can't after giving it to you. But I did get the draw, though not the score. Um, I'm going to give myself 12 points. A little bit generous, but I'll I'll let it go. Um, So, you you know, I I think the first thing, let's talk about the concessions first, and then we'll talk about uh, sort of the upside second, because that's the order in which it went in the game. Thorns gave up two, frankly, like almost identical goals. Uh, They were deep crosses uh, that went to the head of, of, uh, of, of, is it, I always like go back and forth and I, I can never like get the pronunciation of her name in my head. Is it Doey, Natasha Doey, uh, and then Rosie White, uh, respectively. I, those were, so there were two crosses coming in from, from deep on the wings. Do you think this is cause for concern? I mean, the thorns are not known for having, especially on, on, uh, uh, uh are not known sort of for having, I guess, a, dominant aerial defense uh they struggled especially late in the year you can look at in particular uh the game against western new york in which they were eliminated from the playoffs and say yeah they've had some difficulties in the air they've had some difficulties with balls coming in uh from wide areas do you think this is cause for concern for a thorns defense that has otherwise been pretty darn nails uh to date yeah, I, I don't think Mark Parsons was happy with the concessions um, based on talking to him. And I, I do think um, it's an area where you, you have to pay attention because it isn't it does seem to be an area that the Thorns might be a bit weaker on defense. I'm not overly concerned because I think the Thorns, when you look at last year, they were the best defensive team in the league. And um, this year, I, I think despite uh, the injury to Catherine Reynolds, despite Megan Klingberg missing some time, they've been pretty darn good on defense as well so yeah this might be an area that the thorn it's not the thorn strength but overall um this defense generally gets the job done and uh, especially as Catherine reynolds comes back uh, as the team as a whole gets healthier and when, when you your attack is healthy and you're controlling the ball more that helps your defense as well um I just don't see this becoming a massive concern but maybe it's something you pay a little bit of attention to and and um, obviously if this continues to be a way that teams look to expose the thorns and it's effective, uh, then you start worrying a little bit more. Yeah. I think relative weakness for an otherwise 
very good defense is, is a good way to put it. And it's not that it's a huge weakness sort of in absolute terms. Uh, but, you know, I mean, fair to call it a, a relative weakness. Um, you know, I, I think in, in particular, uh, Sonnet is not super great in the air. Um, she has other strengths. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> Every team has a relative weakness. And, and, and I think this is probably one uh, for a Thorns defense that is otherwise very, very, very good. Uh, that is, I think in the second half, this is an un- uncontroversial statement by far the best we've seen from Lindsay Horan, uh, over the course of the season. It's been a little bit, I, I, I think it's fair to say of a slow start for Horan. Uh, she's been in a couple different roles as a 10, as an eight, uh, and really doesn't seem, didn't seem at least to date to have found, uh, to have found much of a rhythm that then she comes on in the second half against Boston. And as you said, dominates the game was by far the best player on the field. Do you think this is a sign that she's starting to sort of break out of that slow start uh, and become the player that we saw in particular uh, that was outstanding toward the end of the year last year. Um, Yeah, I think it is. And I think it's important to remember that she was injured uh, in preseason. So she was coming back and there was a reason for her to have a little bit of a slow start. I don't think that was something um, we should have been all that surprised by. I I think you see this with her. You see this with Ali Long. When they get the opportunity to push higher up on the field, and Mark Parsons said we pushed Lindsey Horan higher up in the second half, and look what she did. Um, they seem to produce, and, and so given that, I, I want I want the Thorns and I want Parsons to find a way to get those two players in particular higher up the pitch more often because you see a saw in the Seattle game when Ali Long came in and. Um, got the equalizer to draw at Seattle and you saw the way Haran dominated. These are two players that can be good in the midfield a little bit more defensively, but are so useful in the attack. And especially when you look at the thorns this year, um, they've struggled for the most part in the attack. They only have, I believe three goals um, from the run of play, seven goals total, but I, I'm pretty sure that um, three of those are penalty kicks and one is a own goal from Seattle. Um, this is a team that, scored 35 goals last year, was second in the NWSL, and the attack has not come alive in the same way. And they've been dealing with injuries. That's a huge part of it. Anytime you lose Tobin Heath, you're not going to be as good of an attacking team. But given that, they have to take advantage of the players that can contribute to the attack. And that means getting Ali Long and getting Lindsey Horan in spots where they can really contribute. Because you saw what that can do uh, in Boston. And you saw how good Haran can be when she gets the opportunity to get further up the field and, and really um, create opportunities in that attack. And for my money uh, on top of that, uh, I think Amandine Henri is a really, really good six. Uh, I think she is as good as a six as she, as she has been in any other position for the thorns. And so, you know, I mean, if I were then to look at sort of the, the central midfield setup, assuming everybody's healthy, we'll talk about that in a moment uh, that makes the most sense. Uh, I, I mean, I think Henri as the six and then probably long as the eight uh, and an eight that has a good amount of liberty to go forward. Uh, and then Haran as the 10 makes just a ton of sense to me. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I think we may see that in, in the coming weeks uh, as both long and Haran now have very, very much sort of materially impacted games when they're pushed higher up. Uh, the, and, and, you know, assuming everybody can get healthy, uh, I think that's going to be one uh, that we're likely to see going forward. Uh, as reference, there was no Allie Long in this one. She was out with a, a little bit of a hamstring tweak. Uh, what do you think? I mean, as a whole, do you think it was a good result in light of Long, who's very, very important to this team? Do you think it was a, a good result to go to Boston and to get a point uh, in light of what was available? 
Yeah, I, I think the Thorns, I, I think this has kind of been a so-so start for the Thorns, but you have to look at the injuries and you have to look at the fact that since the NWSL has such a low, uh, a small number for the rosters, the, the bench the Thorns have been dealing with. They only had 14 players available in Boston. And uh, as as Mark Parsons said, a Christine Sinclair um, wasn't, she didn't feel like she was at her best towards the end of that game because it's a tough surface and, and she's a little bit older, obviously, um, to play in Boston. But they didn't have a ton of options to make subs and, and try to um, be strategic. So um, I, I think it is a good result. I think the expectations for the Thorns, though, are very high. And they're in fifth place right now. They're they're definitely right in the mix. But this is a team that wants to win the NWSL Shield and wants to um, compete for the NWSL Championship. And while neither of those things are out of reach yet, uh, if this team wants to be the best team in the NWSL, they have to start going on a run. And that has to happen soon. We're a fourth of the way through the season. Um, this is the time that the Thorns need to start picking things up. And obviously the injuries are a, a big issue. But they have to find ways to start turning these um, one-pointers into three-pointers. And um, while I think it's a good result, and I, I think the road trip overall, picking up two points is good, uh, for me, it only remains good if they can now come home and get the three points against Boston. I, I agree. I, I think that last point is exactly right, that they've got to start taking care of business uh, in these home games. They've got to start getting three points regularly in these home games. Look, I mean, in, in soccer, period, uh, a point on the road is almost always an acceptable result. Uh, and, and that is especially true if you're then able to come home and, and, and regularly win on, uh, on your home field. Um, so I, I agree with that. You know, the, the point to make about them being in fifth, though, is that they're in fifth and one point out of second. And they have a game in hand on a couple teams as well. Uh, so, I mean, they're a fifth and we could very much wake up on Sunday morning and say, oh, hey, the Thorns are in second place. Uh, in which case, I mean, in light of the injuries and all of that, if the Thorns are sitting uh, through seven games with now having to do math with, with then 12 points, you would say, hey, look, that's a pretty darn good start to the season, all things considered. We're basically zero minutes uh, out, of, out of Tobin Heath. Uh, a limited Lindsay Horan because she came in late uh, and the injuries sort of up and down the roster that they've had. We're going to talk about all of them in just a second. Uh, I think you would, you would turn around and say, if they can beat the breakers on Saturday, 12 points out of seven is pretty darn good. Notwithstanding some opportunities that they may have lost uh, to, to, to get more than that. So, you know, I, I expect the goals to start coming by and large. I mean, they've scored multiple goals in two of their last three games. There are indications that they are starting to come. Uh, and if they do, I, I just think that this defense and, and, and the, the sort of the spine of the team is plenty strong enough uh, to do a lot of damage. Okay, Thorns. Injuries. We've got five of them to run down. Jamie Goldberg, you're the person that deals in facts around here. So deal us some facts. Uh, start with Tobin Heath. Um, Tobin Heath, the big news of the week is that she was back in training. Uh, that's very exciting to see her finally make a step forward uh, that we can visibly see. Um, but she is still going to be out this weekend. Mark Parsons was hopeful that she'd be back for sky blue. The big question is how she, her back reacts to now being back in full training, because that's been the whole issue all along. And the reason why Parsons has said one timeline and it's ended up being something else. Her, her back has to be, react well. She has to feel okay after training. And um, assuming that she does take those steps forward as the Thorns are hoping, yeah, next week for uh, on the road at Sky Blue is reasonable. Um, but I, I think we're just going to have to see 
uh, for sure next week. But seeing her in training definitely is a nice step forward. You know, it's in light of the fact that it's on the road at Sky Blue, I do sort of wonder whether a cross-country trip is really the time to make in light of the fact that it's a back injury. Sitting on a plane for a lot of hours uh, is the time to make that debut. We'll see. It wouldn't surprise me if they hold off until the sort of the backside uh, of that home and home. Uh, and then there would be, I think it's on June 17th because of the international break, uh, June 17th to wait to make that debut, assuming of course, that Heath doesn't go out on international duty, gets called up to the national team, uh, and then has a setback. I, I think there are a lot of considerations there, uh, you know. But good that the aspiration is that game at Sky Blue. But I am a little bit skeptical uh, that that's ultimately how it's going to turn out, just because I'm not sure it's a great fit. Allie Long, she was uh, she was on the bench uh, at Boston. I don't know how realistic it was that she that she play in light of the hamstring injury. What do we know about her going forward? Yeah, she was in training on Tuesday. I, I don't think it was full training, um, but Mark Parsons said they were going to build her up through the week, and he expected her to be ready to go for the weekend. Mana Shim. Shim was a little bit more up in there. I think I think Mark's giving me less p- specific uh, timelines now that um, I keep pointing <laughs> out when he's wrong. Um, he said she's a little bit further out than, say, uh, Tobin. Um, so he said a few weeks and wasn't exactly sure. Catherine Reynolds. Uh, she was in the same boat as Mana Shim. Um, that has changed because I, I think at one point she was supposedly a little bit ahead of some of these others. Um, but that seems to be dragging on. Uh, and he basically said a few weeks as well. And then Dagny Brynja's daughter, another one that we haven't seen at all this season. Uh, it sounds like she's in a similar boat to Tobin. Um, she was also back in training on Tuesday, and so they are targeting Sky Blue for her as well. Um, again, I think everything you just said um, in regards to Tobin probably is, you can probably point that to Dagny as well. So we'll see if she makes her debut on the road at Sky Blue, but it sounds like she's in a similar timeline at this point to Tobin. So uh, just a reminder, we do have the Thorns in the Breakers. The Breakers coming back to town. That is Saturday at 7 o'clock at Providence Park. Uh, in the first of what I guess is two consecutive, consecutive home, consecutive home, 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 home uh, sort of series, although the were interrupted uh, by the week off. Uh, but yeah, so that will be at Providence Park. Uh, some of us, probably including the two of us, will be making our way back from Seattle and may or may not get back in time for that game. Okay, Uh, you know what? I think we're just about out of time. So let's go to the most embarrassing part of the show every week, and that is prediction time. Uh, Timber Sounders, Saturday, 1130, CenturyLink Field, go. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier and say, uh, yes, I think the Timbers are going to put up a fight. I I don't think this is going to be a face plant from them, but I I am skeptical about them being able to get a win at CenturyLink. So I am going to go with the Sounders win uh, they're going to win three to two. Um, it is going to be close and disappointing. And Diego Valeri, who had a good game in Montreal, is going to have another good game and get two assists. I agree with you on the disappointing. I disagree with you on the close. Uh, I just have, con- I mean, as I, as I noted, I have concerns about the sort of Timbers spine uh, leading uh, to their, their back line that I think has been a little bit on the rickety side, maybe a lot on the rickety side over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, and so I am not super enthusiastic about this one. I will be perfectly honest. Uh, I'm calling a 3-1 uh, loss. 
Sounders win 3-1, and the only goal comes from a Darren Maddox late consolation goal. Uh, And if this sounds sort of like the Timbers trip to CenturyLink Field last year, you're exactly right. Uh, Thorns Breakers, as I noted, Saturday, 7 o'clock, Providence Park. What do you say? I I do have confidence that the Thorns can come home and get a a win, and I... I Took I was optimistic leaving that um, Boston game and how they fought back. I am going to go with a 2-1 Thorns win. Um, and Lindsay Rand didn't pick up a goal in Boston, but she played really well. She's going to come back, and she's going to be really involved in the attack and get two assists. I also think there's going to be a, a win here, and just because I like symmetry, uh, I'm going to also call it to be a 3-1 win uh, for the Thorns over the Breakers. Uh, just also because, uh, you know, I mean, I feel like we sort of got Haran, even though she didn't get on the score sheet, uh, sort of got her off the schneid as far as, uh, as, as far as the production goes and, and quality of play goes. So if you got Haran, uh, going last week, I think you're going to get the other person that people have been talking about being in a little bit of a slump, Christine Sinclair also going, and I think she's going to score a brace against the breakers, uh, to, to propel the thorns to the win. Okay. Time for the fantasy update. Uh, third place, that is Timbertown, lie with 1,052 points. Second place is Staten FC, Alvaro, uh, with 1,059 points in the top spot still. Uh, Big Hearts Brass Balls, that's Aaron, with 1,118 points. Uh, I have dropped off the first page of the leaderboard. I'm down in 57th, uh, but still well ahead of you, Jamie Goldberg, sitting in last place because you don't play. Uh, you have just finished listen, listening to Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. You can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, we appreciate your questions as always. Big thanks again to Matt Pence uh, for coming on the show and, and teaching us a little bit about the Sounders, getting us ready for that game this upcoming weekend. Enjoy both the Thorns and the Breakers and the Timbers and the Sounders. We'll be back again next week to talk about all of that and more. And until then, as always, take care.